Do you want to capture meaningful conversations that you care about? Spotify for Podcasters allows you to make a podcast super effortlessly, distribute it automatically everywhere, completely free, and even earn money doing it. Did I say free while making money? What happened to capitalism? Use your phone or computer, hit press record, upload, and start creating today. You can also monetize your podcast super effortlessly through features like ads and subscriptions through the platform. If you have been following the Discover More journey, you know that I've been using Spotify for Podcasters since 2020. Download the Spotify for Podcasters app or go to spotify.com slash podcasters. Spotify.com slash podcasters to start creating immediately. For whatever reason, the way life works, we experience specific kinds of pain to like wake up to a specific kind of purpose. So for anybody who's struggling with like figuring out their life purpose, I would recommend like looking into the trauma that like you had to live through specifically to stop running away from your pain and instead really analyze it, sit with it, figure out what you can take away from it um, and how can you help other people in that realm, in that world. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Discover More where we strive to accelerate the learning process together through intentional dialogues. My name is Benoit. And my name is Aiden. This podcast was built on the foundation of approachable guests, synthesized experiences, and relatable lessons that will help you grow throughout your journey. Thank you for tuning in this week. We hope you enjoy and continue to discover more. Good morning, everyone. This week's guest, Kitty Noor, is the founder and editor-in-chief of OK Cool Magazine, a publication and community that explores the relationship between mental health and creativity. Inspired by her own mental health journey, Kitty founded OK Cool in 2018 in hopes of empowering artists to share their work and heal in the process. In this episode, Kitty shares about her experience as a writer and the inevitable challenges that creatives face. She believes in the healing power of creativity, as well as the idea that art is a verb, an ongoing practice of self-expression. We discuss the idea that creativity is a muscle, as well as a wide range of topics, including astrology, energy cycles, and human consciousness. According to her website, she uses a statement such as, Creativity is the missing link in the transition from feeling depressed to feeling fully self-expressed. Creativity is the missing link between this world and building a better one. So Kitty, welcome to the show. Hi guys, thank you for having me. So yeah, Kitty, uh, with those excerpts that we got from your website, it clearly demonstrates your passion and your experiences using creativity as a bridge to connect your expressive outlets to creating some sort of a net positive for mental health. Can you tell us about or deconstruct those two statements that we read and maybe the mission and the driving force behind your brand, OK Cool Magazine? Yeah, I am first and foremost a writer. I love to write. I love to write poetry. I love to write fiction. And writing has become a huge part of my life and part of like my own self-care and my understanding of like taking care of my own mental health. And in October of 2018, 
I realized how many of my friends are in a similar situation, whether they were writers or painters or photographers, that they also had a complicated relationship to their mental health, but that somehow there was this inherent link between their art and how they felt in the sense of like whether their art helped them feel better or struggling with their mental health um, complicated their ability to make art. And also around that time, I was starting to submit uh, my own poetry to literary magazines, to smaller indie magazines. And I started paying attention to the way like small indie magazines were run and like created through Instagram. And I like really started paying attention and just said like, I want to start something similar. I want to get my friends involved and I want it to have a bigger issue or a bigger impact, a bigger meaning in the sense that like, The magazines that I was submitting my poetry to were just collections of art. And every single literary magazine had a different theme. But I wanted to create something that like really opened up the conversation around mindfulness as it pertained to creativity. And so that's what OK Cool is. I love it. I think there's definitely a lot to explore there, specifically the healing element of creativity. I think I'm especially fascinated with But I think the question that comes to mind before that is why is mindfulness and mental health so important to you? I think it's something that everyone certainly struggles with uh, at various seasons, especially in the year that 2020 was been. But obviously to start a company with the mission of helping improve people's mental health, it feels like it's very important to you. So I was wondering if you could share some color, either your experience, some stories of why why mental health. Yeah, my mom and just like throughout my family's history um my mom was an alcoholic and like a severely depressed person and so mental health and mental health issues just run rampant in my family so from a young age i just like was acutely aware of mental illness and just like (laughs) like how how to take care of yourself by watching people that don't take care of themselves. It was also extremely unfortunate because my mom was a phenomenally creative person. She was a painter who like really stifled herself and stifled her interests to like have a family to put her kids before her and like really lost herself in the roles that she had to play. And then when her kids started growing up, and like not needing her as much, that's when she turned to alcohol to um, just kind of cope. When I was old enough to like understand that writing made me feel good and old enough to understand how to start taking care of myself, I became (laughs) extremely self-aware of the fact that like I used like writing poetry about my mom to cope. (laughs) And that somehow, some way like that connection was like bridged and formed in my mind. My passion for mental health and taking care of oneself and like helping my friends and the people that I care about um, have these kinds of conversations really stem from the fact that like, I wished something like this or these conversations were being had around the time that my mom needed them. Yeah, I love the fact that you pointed out that it's writing is looked at as an art form to externally, but as you pointed out, it's also a tool kind of for your personal evolution and ultimately working through those mental health obstacles. It makes a lot of sense. You, you know, I guess expanded your 
perspective and experience is using writing as a tool to cope with your mom's alcoholism and trying to give that out to the world. I think too often we look at the external facing element of art of like whether people would like it or how it connects. But really, I think the idea that you're pointing out is that art is equally for ourselves. Creativity is equally for our own benefit than for the benefit of the world. So is that kind of an idea that you speak to in OK Cool? I saw one post that you put up, believe in the healing power of your own creativity. So is that like an underlying theme of OK Cool? I was wondering if you could just speak to how that trickles into your publications. Yes, absolutely. I think it just kind of like happens naturally that a lot of the underlying messaging in OK Cool is about social media as it pertains to art. And um, the only reason why I think this is relevant right now is because when you said external, I really do believe that the internet is a blessing, that social media is a blessing. As an artist, you can like market yourself, you can share your artwork, you can find people that are into similar things so easily. But at the same time, as a society, and we've been like this before the internet, but um, we are too focused on the outcome of a situation, the, f- the finished project, the post, the painting, the podcast episode, when in actuality, like art is more of a verb. And if you see it as that, if you can really enjoy the process of making it or just like accept the process for what it is, that in itself is extremely healing. The making of the thing is the therapeutic aspect of art. But then you could also argue on the other hand, that the beauty of art is that once you make this thing, then other people get to experience it. And then that's also a healing experience. Yeah, it sounds like you have identified art form or poetry in your case that you write about your experiences with your mom or your struggles in terms of mental health. It's like the power of mental health, right? It's like you can self-care through different mechanisms. And in this case, through art, through writing, through poetry, you're creatively expressing your trauma in a way. And I think what makes empathy truly powerful, because empathy in my mind is just a framework. It's a framework that you use to relate to other people by extending your empathy and compassions and feelings. But I think what truly makes empathy effective is if you have relevant experiences. So, for example, you are able to relate to other population that shares that struggle with a parent who is an alcoholic or someone who have battled depressions, anxiety throughout their lives. It's not that other people can't relate as well, but because you have the direct relevant experience to peer into that space of trauma. right? So you're utilizing your own trauma to reframe it as a effective outreach method or effective coping mechanism or to advocate for other people who share that similar struggles and you're able to do it so effectively because you have art as your platform and you have the toolkits of relevance from your trauma so that you would like to prevent similar trauma from happening in other population and that's what it feels like just from your mission statements that we read in the beginning of the episode and through browsing your artwork through your website and your instagram I think it's interesting because there's such an intricate relationship between social media and mental health and the idea of self-care, right? Because this was first introduced me to our guest and our friend Nick Bellato, who's a coach, and he shared the idea that you cannot pour from an empty glass. It sounds very cliche, 
But I think it's especially for people like us who's in the industry of servicing other people, we often neglect neglect and negate our own self care, our own fulfillment because we're always thinking about the others, others, others. But it sounds like you were able to come to peace or experience and realize the fact that you have to take care of yourself to effectively influence other people. Yeah. I wholeheartedly believe that for whatever reason, the way life works, we experience specific kinds of pain to like wake up to a specific kind of purpose. So for anybody who's struggling with like figuring out their life's purpose, I would recommend like looking into the trauma that like you had to live through specifically to stop running away from your pain and instead really analyze it, sit with it, figure out what you can take away from it um, and how can you help other people in that realm, in that world. But you're absolutely right. Like you cannot pour from an empty cup. So doing anything like that, doing anything that's a little different, a little creative, it's going to require you isolating yourself and feeling lonely for a little bit just to like figure out what you want to do and like kind of shut out the like the noise of the outside world and like the noise of people telling you what you should be doing. But as soon as you can tune into that space from there, like then you can help other people. But until you like learn how to like be by yourself for a little bit, you can't get to that point. I've never heard that before. You're basically saying that specific pain reveals specific purpose. And in your case, the pain of trauma from battling with alcoholism in the family and your own series of chronic depression from back when has revealed your purpose, which is through the outlet, in this case, OK Cool Magazine. And I think we've been talking so much about the purpose and the mission statements that led to this product of OK Cool Magazine. Uh, I would love to talk about your personal journey that led to this point. I, (laughs) it was a, it's been a weird journey. But um, I have dropped out of college basically twice. I moved to New York City like two years ago just because I wanted to. At that point, I was already out of school. By the time I moved to New York City, that was really just me doing something for myself for the first time and really creating distance between me and um, my family. And I love my family. But at that point in time, my mom's drinking was so severe. And I was just like oblivious to how much my life was like wrapped up in hers so moving gave me the distance to just like sit with myself and like figure out (laughs) what actually made me happy what did I actually want to do and at that point I had been writing poetry and like writing fiction and just like writing in general pretty consistently and so that's when I spoke earlier about submitting poetry to literary magazines but then when I started like getting them in the mail and like seeing my work in print I was like, oh, like, this is so cool. Like, so like, it's just a different out-of-body experience that I'd never had before. And I was like, I want to make something like this, but I want to make it with the people that I love. So in September of 2018, okay, cool. (laughs) It started as a blog and it was called Wholesome Content Magazine because I liked the idea of making t-shirts that said, I heart wholesome content. But uh, by the time we like actually launched the website, It was like, okay, cool, was the name, just because it was catchier. And my roommate, Marissa, helped me figure that out. The magazine began with me reaching out to a bunch of people that I knew were into like artsy stuff 
and I had them like basically submit questionnaires every single month. Like, tell me what's going on in your life. Tell me what you're creating. What music are you listening to? And then I would post stuff monthly. And it wasn't until like June that we like launched our first print magazine. And that is issue number one. It's called How to Deal, but it's all about imposter syndrome and facing your fears around starting a creative project. Each magazine is just like a giant open art call to anybody who's interested in like submitting their stuff. And as a writer, like I really appreciated that because it's a way to build a resume. It's a way to build a portfolio. It's a way to get your name out there. And in the process, you're connecting with all these like-minded people. Yeah, I love that for a few reasons. One being it speaks to the power and the blessing of social media that you alluded to before. Like this is ultimately bringing people together from across the globe, across experiences, all to be able to contribute in a remote and pretty seamless way. But then also the power of community, right? You're able to create a group of people all that have shared values, like-minded interests, all to contribute to this one big thing. And I think as humans, we're biologically wired to be tribal creatures, right? So being able to create not just a community where people can share that experience, but also the fulfillment of contributing, right? I think we're all wired for connection and contribution and what you're creating at OK Cool bridges both of that gaps by creating that tie-in with people across Instagram. And the one thing that you mentioned is of the first edition of OK Cool was imposter syndrome. And I think that's almost like a cool meta thing that probably happened coincidentally of like you write the first one about overcoming imposter syndrome in itself, you had to get over imposter syndrome to create your first edition. So for me, I've definitely experienced a lot of this imposter syndrome when it comes to creative elements. But I think another thing that's uniquely tied in there is the fear of being seen. As an artist, it's not just fake it till you make it. It's fake it until you make it and then share your innermost vulnerabilities with the world <laughs> through creative expression. So I was wondering if you could like unpack that a little bit you know, the title is imposter syndrome, but I'm sure there's a lot more underneath as an artist, as someone who put together all of these stories from people across the country. So what, what comes up for you there? Yeah, it was totally a case of fake it till you make it. It was totally a matter of me sitting with myself and being like, what the heck am I going to talk about? I'm scared to talk about anything. Why don't I just like talk about the fact that I'm scared? And then creating that call, like just making Instagram posts saying like, hey, are you interested in like this kind of theme? The magnitude of people that were attracted to it was just like, it was confirmation. Majority, if not all of creative people, if not everybody experiences waves of imposter syndrome throughout their lifetime. In the society that we're living in, we're kind of made to like go through obstacles of like constantly questioning ourselves for not following a certain specific path and going against the grain. So I was living in New York at the time of um, creating that first issue. And so along with art submitted by people, I also interviewed a tattoo artist that I like really looked up to at the time and a podcaster. And the podcaster's name is Kat Lantigua. She has an awesome podcast called Chats with Kat. And the tattoo artist, her name is Lexi Hollis. She's like an extremely talented and talking to both of them, these women that like I put on a pedestal, both of them still deal with imposter syndrome. Both of them still deal with the same self-doubt. And so to have those kinds of conversations, it was just so humanizing. 
and like changed my perspective and helped me feel so much more comfortable. Like, who am I to say, <laughs> follow your dreams when I'm like trying to figure out my own stuff. But I think in the matter of being seen and being vulnerable, talking about imposter syndrome right out the gate was like the perfect way to start. It was like a good amount of like vulnerability. Yeah, certainly. I mean, what would you say to people that are facing that imposter syndrome? I think what you just said and the stories that you shared kind of speak to it a little bit. It's something that's human to everybody. I think we all go through it in some capacity. But does that boil down to a matter of just doing it, like a just get over it kind of thing? Or what would you say to people that are trying to work through that in a both productive but then also mentally healthy way as well? I think first and foremost you need to like really radically realize the fact that you're human. You're not supposed to be perfect. You have fears, you have doubts that are like beyond your control. And if you can make peace with that, that is one of the greatest blessings you can ever give yourself. Forgive yourself for doubting yourself. But I also encourage you to understand that the things that you are the most afraid of are probably the things that you are here to do. You're not meant to sit still. You're not meant to sit on your hands. And actually it's scary, but it feels good of making a practice of like challenging yourself and stepping outside of your comfort zone, and like pushing your own limits. And I think that is one of the most rewarding feelings when you do something that you're terrified of doing. It's not easy. It's really not easy. And we also have a very like binary black and white understanding of what success looks like and what failure looks like something like a concept that has actively helped me and like still helps me work through feelings of imposter syndrome is like treating everything like practice everything like that has really helped me and changed the game and how I handle things I think the key phrase that comes to my mind during your theme of resisting and fighting imposter syndrome is the acceptance piece right Mm -hmm. because in the beginning you talked about it's a human nature it's a element that's common to most humans out there so to even resist or fight through that or even not fighting but accepting and work through that imposter syndrome you have to accept that it is part of the process and i reckon you talked about you looked up to these two revered figures one of them was a tattoo artist and one of them was a podcaster and i'm sure the preconceived expectations You thought they were perfect. You thought they were just cruising through life because they were successful and because you were able to put them on a pedestal. I bring that up because I've been watching a lot of Conan O'Brien interviews. He was telling the audiences that whatever famous celebrity, influencer, successful people you look up to on a pedestal, they don't have their shit down as you think they do. They're still struggling with their own battles that you don't know about. They're still experiencing imposter syndrome on a day-to-day basis. So I think with our conversations and talking about the theme of resisting and fighting and accepting imposter syndrome, it's important for everyone to realize it's just part of the process. And I think it's important to accept it. Yeah, that's an awesome point, Ben. And I think really ties into the point that you made, Kitty, of the fact that We should treat everything like practice. That really reminded me of a podcast that I listened to recently with the author Seth Godin. He's a really famous marketing expert. He tells this story of he was going out with his family and friends. They were going fishing for the day. And he didn't want to get hung up on whether the fact he would would catch a fish or not. So he just practiced casting his line 
for three hours that day. And he said, I had more fun than anyone else there because they're all, you know, pissed off if they caught a fish or if the fish was too small. And he's just said, I was casting better than anyone on the fishing spot by the end of that day. But really, I think that example embodies this idea of treating everything as practice. And that almost comes back to the fact or the idea of art as a verb that you mentioned. And I think that in itself, art as a verb is such a powerful idea because it speaks to the process of art. You know, you don't need to get hung up on was this poem good or was this writing relatable, but really the act of doing so, which ultimately leads to the healing and the self-growth that you've alluded to so wisely. That's awesome. Like we've all heard the saying, pursuit of happiness is in the pursuit itself. Like before the world put success or money on a pedestal, I think now there's a societal shift into putting happiness on a pedestal. But I think the downside of that is people get very caught up on the pursuit or the act of, oh, I need to obtain this happiness at whatever cost, which defeats the whole purpose. It's like what both of you alluded to, art is a verb. It's just like a pursuit. The moment you stop chasing it or stop pursuing because you feel like you've obtained this happiness is probably the same that you lose it as well. It reminds me of another thing that Conan O'Brien said since I've been binge watching a lot of his interviews recently. I mean, he's, he's a funny guy. I didn't realize how funny he was. He says that, once you have fame, once you have success, like he does, the only thing that could happen is losing it. Because like for most of us, we still have to spend the rest of our life fighting, trying to get whatever success in our own lane is, right? Because success is very subjective. But we are in the process of getting success. But for people like his caliber, they already have success. So the only thing that could happen to them is losing it because they already have it. So when he was asked, what do you mean by, you know, being successful and all that? He's like, I guess, just not losing what I have and trying to still find joy in the process because they've been doing it for so long. So I think both of your idea, but your idea, Kitty, of art as a verb is extremely powerful practice. And that's probably also effective way to eliminate false expectations or false hope, but focus on the joy of it all. So how do you recommend people jumping into art? I think to some, it comes kind of naturally. Even myself, when I was in college, I was majoring in accounting and in a fraternity and just like didn't consider myself creative, quote unquote. Like it just didn't really occur to me to be creative at that time. But I think you might have mentioned it on our last call or maybe it was content you wrote, but everyone's creative in some capacity. It's really like discovering where that creativity is. So you alluded to it earlier, kind of looking into the painful moments, that pain reveals purpose idea, which in itself is really powerful. But how do you recommend people embarking on a creative journey or what's step one look like? I think first and foremost, all human beings are inherently creative and that it's just our current society's definition of what creativity looks like. This idea that like certain people are creative, certain people aren't. We can encourage creativity in children, but once you reach a certain age, like you have to get more realistic about what you want to do and how to spend your time. So the first step to like <laughs> dipping your toes in the creative water is just like um, waking up to the fact that like kind of everything we do in- incorporates and involves creativity or like imagination on like a certain level your relationship to creativity can be whatever you want it to be and it probably already kind of exists 
your creative efforts or like creative hobbies, like they don't have to make you money. They don't have to make sense to anybody else but you. If you like sitting and drawing circles <laughs> to get your mind off of something else, then like sit and draw circles if it makes you happy. That also goes for somebody who like is into music, like plays the guitar on the side and like feels they should make it their full time, whatever, but doesn't want to or like there's this kind of like resistance, like it doesn't, your creative efforts don't have to make you money. You can have something just for you. But on the flip side, if you do want to pursue something in a bigger way, just know that you're free to do that. Um, it's not easy and everybody has a different jumping off point. But if you are remotely interested in like starting something new or pursuing something in a bigger way, like just do it, just do it. Cause you'll never stop thinking about it. So you might as well give yourself the like piece of trying. Mm -hmm. What I'm hearing is just embracing the creativity and whatever daily functions you might be doing, but really like seeking the creative outlets of those specific things. And that idea really brings me to a concept that I've been exploring this last week that I think you would really appreciate. And I definitely want to hear your thoughts on. It's the idea of creativity being a floodgate or like a gate more or less. So the more creativity you go through, the more it opens up other gates. Like when it's just a line, say I'm only podcasting once a week with one person on a Saturday for two hours. That's only like a small line of creativity. But then when I do morning journaling every morning and then play guitar twice a week when I get home from work, that opens the creative floodgates. And I think that speaks to the momentum that creativity could have. The more you're writing, the more you're exchanging ideas with other creatives it keeps the ball rolling with that creativity. So I think especially now, as you alluded to at the beginning of balancing mental health and creativity, obviously when things are super dark or you're super down, it's sometimes tough to create. How do you overcome that writer's block, as they say, or keep the creative ball rolling? Definitely yeah. a big question. Don't need to cover all the bases, <laughs> but you know, what comes up for you there? Yes, I think I have two things to cool. say. Um, one, I love that floodgate idea um because then that like cycles back to the idea that like maybe creativity is more like a muscle so the more you mm. work out the more you use it then the more it's just gonna like kick in and you'll have a stronger muscle and then two when it comes to like being in really rough mental state um it really depends and it's different for everybody because sometimes like you, like you write that journal entry, you write that poem that like helps you not necessarily snap out of it, but just like helps you get out of bed that day. Or, but sometimes if you don't feel like even like doing anything when it comes to like depression or anxiety, and again, it's different on a case by case basis. However, in my personal experience, taking care of my physical health always like helps me get back on track mentally. And that doesn't even have to be like working out. In the beginning of COVID, when I came back to live with my family for a little bit and just like fell into a, like a tough, dark mental space where um, for the first time in like years, I just had no motivation to do anything. And what helped me snap out of it was making myself wake up early for no reason making myself like wake up at seven or like four seven, like get out of bed, change your clothes, like just like sit and drink coffee. And then that turned into like, okay, wake up, sit, drink coffee. I'm gonna do something. I'm gonna like read a book, try to stay off my phone. 
Um, and then that turned into writing. And then that turned into a um, okay, cool like series on Instagram for a little bit, where because I was having <laughs> a hard time feeling like myself, I reached out to, again, like just a bunch of random strangers on, internet, on Instagram, as well as like some friends, and asked if people were interested in like documenting what was helping them through quarantine. And so mm. if you go like through our Instagram feed in like March and April, there was this weekly series of artists just jumping on, uh, making videos saying, hi, like this is my name, this is what I do, and this is how I like feel okay. <laughs> that like creative streak was only possible and like me getting back to a healthy mental state was only possible because I took action to take care of my physical body. And that for me was like just waking up early. Mm -hmm. I definitely want to hear about some of those strategies that you heard from this widespread content effort, but I would like to echo the importance of the thing you said of just waking up earlier trickled into all of these other benefits. Uh, I recently started a health coaching platform and that's my whole idea is doing small habits every day that kind of compound over time. So with one of my clients, we just woke up 15 minutes earlier every week for a month, and then you're getting up with an hour more in the morning. And you can do whatever you want with that time. Sometimes it's, hey, I feel like going for a walk. Sometimes, hey, you want to go for a run or just read a book. But it's really like that extra time that I think represents keeping your word to yourself. Because when you say, hey, I'm going to get up early, and then you get up early, it translates to, hey, I'm going to write 500 words, and then you actually write those 500 words. So yeah. it really is the idea of like keeping your word to yourself and like building that discipline through something small like just waking up early. So I think both of you are demonstrating like a really important idea, and I just want to echo a little bit further. I know in Aiden's coaching practice, he often talks about finding joy in what you do. And what you're alluding to, Kitty, you're also talking about finding joy and creativity and by increasing the volume or the quantity, almost like the quality comes out. When you're being creative or when you're in that creative process, you can't really be dozing off or not. You have to be present to be creative. Like when you're writing poetry, when you're writing a creative piece, you have to be pretty focused for you to be able to snap out of your dark place. And I think that's like the power of presence. By being present in your creative process, you're maximizing the creative benefits. And uh, I heard this by Jerry Seinfeld. He was asked about the correlation between quantity and quality. And if you examine historically, if you look at Da Vinci or uh, Beethoven, their most renowned art piece are produced during their busiest voluminous season. So I think the question of is it quantity or quality is often skewed because through our daily practices of producing more work to entering the creative space more often, whether it's Aiden's way of introducing his clients to wake up 15 minutes earlier, instilling small habitual practices or your consistent behavior of writing more every single day, focusing on your physical health. All those are, I think, extremely closely related to produce the quality work is by increasing your productivity, by increasing your output. So I thought that was important that it's not one or the other, or it's not that, oh, by being in this creative space, you're sacrificing some other qualities, but everything is in a way is deeply interconnected. Yeah, excellent point, Ben. I think it all is interconnected, especially during a time that we're all just trying to take care of ourselves, you know, momentum of doing one small thing interconnects with other small habits and even just activities or things that bring you joy. So what are some of the things, whether it's habits, activities, 
things of that sort that came up in this crowdsourced COVID survival pack, if you want to call it that. Yeah. I am very grateful to my friend, uh, Hannah Tebby, who is an amazing artist. And she, so I made like the first little video where I shared about waking up early and how that was helping me. Hannah made the next video and she talked about going on walks and how that was helping her clear her mind. There was a lot of stuff like that, but one that like blew my mind was this singer songwriter. Their name is Becky Rose. This person shared that like paying attention to their menstrual cycle, like help them become aware of like their energy levels and then like predict their energy levels like throughout the month or like just throughout quarantine. And um, that blew my mind. <laughs> I've been a woman for 23 years. I've never ever thought or was never taught to like pay attention to my own cycle. And the fact that like my energy levels are inherently like linked with that. And so watching that video and being exposed to that concept, I was like mind blown. And cis men go through a similar cycle. It's not the same, but like we all ebb and flow in a different way. Like our energy levels aren't the same every single day. So to have the like luxury of being able to map it out <laughs> and understand, okay, this is when I'm going to like be a little sad and like be a little like tired. And this is when I'll be like more energetic and just being understanding of that just it blew my mind and it honestly like has changed my relationship to my own body and like just understanding the way time works. And I'm very grateful for that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Excellent piece of advice. I mean, as a 26 year old male, I don't have a lot of insight into <laughs> menstrual cycles. However, I will mention a resource potentially to you and any female listeners that one of my friends had kind of indulged and told me a little bit about, but it's a book called flow and it's basically a book uh, for women to optimize their cycle and she would recommend like different types of exercise training so you would do say yoga during a certain time of the month hit workouts during another time but basically trying to optimize what you're eating and doing on an everyday uh, everyday basis to kind of match and align with those cycles but I think it also now for our male listeners and more all listeners I think it illustrates the importance of recognizing our energies at certain times uh, you mentioned you listened to Natalie Brown's episode, and that's kind of how she, I guess, advised people to pay attention to intuition. It's noticing when you're feeling up, when you're feeling down, and leaning into those feelings. Like, as humans, we can't feel happy all the time. That just wouldn't be a healthy thing. You need to have the downs to have the ups. So I think the point that you brought up really well illustrates that of like there's going to be times to create, 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 and there's going to be times where you just need to curl up in a ball and go nap for a while. Um, but it's really that polarity that kind of gives everything balance that really feels like a big, important part of art. Yeah. Uh, yes. With that being said, could you, I'm personally interested because I will never experience the energetic flow <laughs> chart that you experience as a woman. But I am interested because like what you alluded to and what Aiden just spoke about is that there are definitely a huge connections and correlation between your energetic output and monitoring that output or that cycle whether it is through period or not. Uh, so for you personally, how have you mapped out that strategy or how have you looked into tracing your energetic flow state to monitor your day-to-day -day energy levels or mood swings or anything in between? So I only started monitoring really my own cycle these past couple months. But before then, because I am like, 
very much into astrology and like following certain astrological transits and like paying attention to the moon it's phenomenal and it's like kind of magical the fact that like women's menstrual cycles last 28 days because the moon um takes 28 days to orbit the earth and uh (laughs) (laughs) yeah and then in that time period the moon goes through different phases at one point in time like it's not invisible so um astrologically it's like a metaphor for a period of like low energy on earth and then full moons are the opposite it's a heightened period of energy So I was already, like, thinking in that kind of way. So then to, like, apply my own cycle to that was just, like, everything makes sense. (laughs) And indigenous cultures and, like, ancient cultures use the moon and, like, use a more circular understanding of time. And my understanding of healing, my understanding of creativity also is, like, very circular. It's very ebb and flow. It's how it works. Creativity is like kind of chaotic energy in its purest form. Ideas kind of come out of nowhere. They kind of like are unexplainable. And our desires to act on them are also like, I guess they could be psychologically explained. But for the most part, my understanding of creativity is kind of like mystical. And that keeps it fun. I guess your question of like, how has that changed my relationship to my creativity understanding my own energy levels is just another like way for me to like practice self-forgiveness and like okay like it's okay if I don't feel 100% like I I will eventually and when I feel 100% like I better enjoy this now (laughs) and I better do what I got to do now so then I can take like next week off or something like that yeah awesome point Kitty I would like to explore astrology a little bit because personally it's something I don't know much about but From what I have heard is friends that have worked in hospitals, whether that's the emergency room or just like out and about in hospitals, when the full moon hits, they say like all shit hits the fan. Like just there's crazy stuff happening, people coming in with all sorts of injuries. But having that as my only impression on to what you said, energies become really raised and elevated around the full moon times. I was wondering if you could share a little bit of your thoughts and perspectives around astrology. What does full moon typically look like? What's, you know, the opposite being a new moon? What are the opportunities and even dangers in each of them? Well, first, I want to thank both of you for creating the space where I can talk about um, (laughs) my period and astrology in the same sentence. (laughs) Um, Both of these subjects and more so menstrual cycles than astrology, but both of them have like a layer of taboo around them or surrounding them that um uh in our society people who have menstrual cycles are made to feel ashamed of it and that's just like mainly because for so long we've lived in a very like patriarchal society and the way that things are run it's a very masculine energy it's a very ballistic scientific progress oriented thing that doesn't leave a whole lot of room for astrology in actuality um astrology is like an ancient belief system that like predates the Greek and Romans who like really popularized the Western astrology that we use today. And majority of the planets um, are named after Greek gods with the exception of one. It's so cool to have this kind of conversation because we are in like a unique point in time astrologically and we're entering into a new era that's marked by um, the sign of Aquarius 
where things like astrology are going to become a lot more common and a lot more popularized because people are more comfortable questioning the way things have been done and the in the way that we've lived our lives for such a long time over these next <laughs> 2000 years it's going to be called the age of aquarius and we're stepping into a period of time where people are just going to be more open minded to like spiritual concepts to religious concepts to understanding that like as humans yes we have a physical body but we also have an energetic body like yes we live in a physical reality but we also exist in a quantum field that's like constantly sending us information and we're constantly sending it information so i really fell in love with astrology when i was like 20 it was 2017 i had stopped going to school so i had all this free time so i just like fell down a rabbit hole and like consumed as much as i could about the moon about how things worked <laughs> The moon is like a good jumping off point to start. So um, like you asked Aiden, sorry for this like roundabout answer. Uh, the moon has like eight different phases and that's just because of like the position between the earth, the sun and, and the moon. And so when the moon is non-visible in the sky, it's called a new moon and it's symbolic of like new beginnings. I like use this energy um we all do it unconsciously whether it's like writing or like through the magazine like when i know i want to start something new i will like literally wait <laughs> for a new moon to like journal or like manifest like sit down like get really clear about like what i want to do moving forward and so to like work with the moon phases once the moon starts becoming a little bit more visible that's when it like enters like waxing phases and those are symbolic of just like staying positive, like start taking action towards all those intentions that like you want to come to fruition. So by the time of a new moon, like you said, Aiden, people like, like you don't have to be paying attention to it, but um, hospitals, uh, I'm trying to think of other examples, maybe like police, 911 dispatchers have more calls around full moons. Like people like do like act out of body and it makes sense on a quantum physics scale, like the idea that like the moon has a certain pull on the earth, on our tides, like it would make sense for just part of this planet for the moon to have a certain pull on our energetic bodies, if that makes sense. Yeah, definitely. I think you pointed out a lot of really important things. Specifically, the thing that really jumped out for me is the age of Aquarius, partially and Perhaps selfishly, it's because I am an Aquarius, so that's good to know. But more importantly, the fact that people are gravitating toward those more spiritual, intuitive ideas. And I think that almost speaks to the history of being very by the textbook, by science. Generally, the pendulum swings in the opposite way, and we've been very by the book. The age of information was the 2000s of 2020, and now you can kind of even just see it in a lot of... Um, like health and wellness type spaces, psychedelics are definitely coming in, especially with their relation to mental health and healing, which I think is a very promising and exciting next few steps. And I think the other thing you mentioned of both hospitals and police officers, sometimes I even notice that just on like my Spotify New Music Friday, like it's a full moon or a new moon and just like, yeah. It seems like every musician put out a great new song all at one time or, you know, sometimes there's a lull period where just like people aren't creating as much. But it really to what you said is like subconsciously there, even if people aren't actively thinking about it. So definitely really appreciate that perspective and kind of walking us through how that works. 
this is a especially fascinating conversation because I only knew two things about astrology or the moon is a like the moon is like the protector of earth where obviously it shields us from all the asteroids and that's how all those craters are formed on the moon and the other thing is the mystics of werewolves but uh, with your conversation it sounds like all of us exhibit certain werewolf behaviors on full moon by being more energetic by high tense energies that could be demonstrated through like the um, emergency and police example so no I, i think that is really cool and what i do want to talk about that is I'm not a disbeliever in a sense, but I don't know too much about astrology. And I definitely sense a lot of internal resistance towards anything or any topics that's related to astrology because A, I'm very ignorant and I'm very, I don't have a lot of exposure to those contexts and knowledge. And I think it is in our all of human nature to like label something as such and dismiss them, right? Because we live in a very labeling centric culture where if we have certain disagreements with certain ideologies or beliefs, we say, oh, that's homophobic or, oh, that's racist or that's whatever ist, you name it. And yeah. then for the sake of dismissing them, you know, and that's like how the debates are being performed, which is extremely problematic. And that's how I think the chasm of different belief systems are only going to get exacerbated or widened. You know, just like a lot of Eastern like shamanism or a lot of Eastern philosophy or Eastern medicine that the Western society have pushed against for so long. I think now within the last decade or last few years, there is like a general consensus that, oh, those are real belief system and those are actual field that performed miracles and they work really well in thousands of years ago or a million years ago. So I think it is a cool title shift that we're seeing on a cultural basis. And I'm, I'm a cancer myself, and I don't know anything about astrology science. I don't know anything about this era of, but if it does mean that human as a collective is entering into an era of open-mindedness, I think that's amazing to hear. And I pray to God that that is, uh, we are becoming more receptive towards open-mindedness, towards each other, towards acceptance, because yeah, it has been a rocky four years, <laughs> needless to say. Yeah. So. yeah, and so because it's been so rocky, we all experienced loss through this past year, through COVID specifically, whether it was loss of a person or like loss of some kind of stability or loss of a job. So collectively, we're all questioning <laughs> our faith. We want something to put our faith in um, if we don't already have it. And I gravitated towards astrology for like a couple different reasons, but one as a belief system, it like leaves room for both predetermined things. Like you're born with a certain amount of like karma to experience more or less, but it also, the belief system leaves room for free will. Like at the end of the day, like according to astrology, like you have a certain amount of control. Some things you don't, (laughs) but um, for the most part, like on a day-to-day thing, free will exists. And I find that kind of comforting. And I also fell in love with astrology when I learned about birth charts. So both of you are like, you're more than an Aquarius. You're more than a Cancer. You are born with an entire chart. Um, And a birth chart is essentially what the sky looked like when you were born. So you are an Aquarius because the sun was in like the constellation Aquarius. But then where the moon was as a meeting 
where Saturn was has a meaning. And so under that kind of belief system, no one person is exactly the same. Like no one cancer is exactly the same from another cancer. Like we all have little quirks and differences. And I also appreciate that sentiment. Mm -hmm. Like certain planets in certain houses, right? I should yes. put you in touch with my ah. grandmother. She's like <laughs> all really? up in this. Yeah, she would like run my birth charts and like what things were in different houses because it comes down to the specific like minute and hour you were born as well, not just yeah. the month of the year, which I think yeah. is super interesting. And uh. the one thing, I mean, it sounds like you're almost taking, you are looking for both sides of astrology, right? The human choice as well as the predetermined kind of thing. It also feels like a combination of spirituality as well as like quantum physics that you alluded to earlier. You know, I think there almost seems like too many coincidences, like the 28 days of a woman's menstrual cycle and 28 days of the moon, or the fact that they've been talking about it for thousands and thousands of years. Like if, to me, truth is usually in history. And if something is carried forward for that long, that it's ignorant to dismiss an entire field just because it has some beliefs you don't agree with. But the fact that it's been around for so long, kind of introducing the long-termness, the spirituality as well as the science but i would like to explore quantum physics a little bit like you mentioned not in because obviously that's <laughs> something that neither of us know tons about but no. where has that entered in you tossed it around is there anything that comes to mind around that in relation to astrology just like the way that energies move or isn't the one big idea is that like chaos is the natural state and that's why there's just like always chaos moving around I'm super not familiar, but I'm curious if there's anything that comes to mind of, we want to illustrate for the skeptics around astrology, how there is science truth. Like quantum physics is the physics that everything is based off of. And there definitely is a lot of that tied up in the universe, astrology, all of that kind of stuff. In your last interview, were you guys talking, was it a Morgan Friedman quote about science? It was a biophysicist who was on the Tim Ferriss podcast talk about the capital S science. Yes, I, and I completely agree with that idea. The idea that science and spirituality kind of go hand in hand. They don't cancel each other out. So my like very limited <laughs> understanding of not only like quantum physics, but science is that energy can neither be created nor destroyed. Everything hypothetically that composes the energetic world that we live in now like has always existed in some other form. And that means like even prior to the Big Bang, like prior to the universe or universes like creating themselves, like when everything, when all energy that has ever existed was still like compact and before separateness was a thing before the Big Bang happened, that means that the same stuff that went on to create the planets above us, like also created Earth and ultimately created life on earth. So I don't know if every skeptic <laughs> would buy this argument, but I think it's fun to believe that like, because we are made up of the same energetic bodies that created literally everything else, it makes sense to at least me that astrology, just like quantum physics explains why, I don't know, life just happens the way it does. Like things are synced in a chaotic way. This isn't necessarily like an astrological explanation of life, but I do think that like as humans, we just assign meaning to things. But in actuality, it's just energy like playing out. 
whether like you had a crappy day because the moon <laughs> was in a certain sign or because that moon was in a certain sign, maybe it really did have a pull on your emotions or maybe like it's possible that like that just the energy reflects one another. Um, and so that's where uh, like real astrologers like have the ground to make predictions when you like understand someone's so like your grandma <laughs> could probably look at your birth chart and then like tell you on what day you're most likely to feel certain things or certain things are supposed to come into your life. And I believe that's just because energy just reflects one another and that life happens in a very like explainable and unexplainable fashion. Mm. I'm hearing the complexity of it all, but also the interconnectedness of, of it all. That was something we explored a lot in our last episode, talking about synchronicities and how as much as there is chaos always happening, there is sometimes those stars completely align, you know, pun not intended around <laughs> astrology, but it seems like you're talking about, but haven't, I guess, coined it. Uh, but the idea of consciousness, and that I think really symbolizes the oneness of everything. In my mind, I feel like consciousness always tries to like present itself through ideas. And I had this thought a couple nights ago, but it's like perpetually trying to survive or consciousness is trying to create ideas to continue the world to exist. I know that sounds kind of far out there from a lot of ways, but I think humans were wired for survival. And to what you alluded to, we all are made up of those same inherent things from the big bang back in the day. It's just kind of those hard to articulate but that idea is kind of moving through us and ultimately how ideas come to mind does that you know yes. resonate a little bit with you and yes. kind of how that astrology meets spirituality yes no i love that concept um the idea that like consciousness generating ideas is how we survive i love that also like brings it back to the mental health conversation understanding that your consciousness is part of a bigger puzzle is very, I guess that can be <laughs> intimidating to some, but at least for me and for a lot of the people that I have these kind of conversations with, it's very calming to our mental health to understand, to put consciousness in that kind of perspective. Like we're all approaching a larger problem collectively, like all trying to solve the same puzzle, just in different vehicles. One thing that I wanted to talk about earlier, but I think comes to mind on this topic now is the idea of flow. And I've always heard that described as the balance of focus and surrender. And a lot of this like consciousness talk, and especially in an artistic manner, a lot of the creatives or musicians talk about getting out of the way, right? Just yeah. musicians letting the music flow through them. I'm sure it feels like that when you're writing. Uh, what does flow mean to you and how does that surrender kind of idea come up when you're creating? Yeah, I think it's extremely deceiving <laughs> um, when we talk about flow because it sounds so easy, but it's not. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, in my experience, it takes a lot of discipline. It takes a lot of committing to, I'm going, I'm going to sit down, I'm going to write, and I'm going to write like 10 crappy sentences and like maybe hit one that does it for me. And then I can hit a state of flow. So sometimes it takes like the discipline of showing up, committing the time and like never hitting flow to like doing that the next day. And it, the whole thing just feels really good. My like hack to getting into flow now is reading before I write, mm -hmm. um, which I also like have mixed feelings about because I do think that like as a creator, like there's only so much you can consume 
And so for people who are like finding difficulty, finding flow states or like finding difficulty, like finding the motivation to create, I think it's extremely important to like pay attention to how much you're consuming. What are you consuming? How can you cut down on that and like start a regiment of creating? But so flow to me, sometimes <laughs> it just happens and it is as magical as it sounds, but most times it takes a whole lot of discipline before I can get there. Yeah, and I think that the whole idea of flow state is fascinating because in both the spiritual community and scientific community, there is definitely a unanimous consent that flow state is real and it's been studied and recorded on numerous occasions. But then as of now, we still don't have a way to guarantee the access. Right. Because like you talked about, it, it happens. And if you interview a lot of very esteemed artists, musicians, or even like kids with savant syndromes who are extreme, like who are on autistic spectrums or whatever, but they're extremely talented in most cases music. You ask them like the Rayman, right? Like the, the, this person who was modeled after for the movie Rayman, he has like the perfect recall and he can recall any date. And you ask them, how do you do it? And a lot of musicians similar to this guy with Savant Syndrome, they just do it. It's like part of their nature. And a lot of times people try to articulate or a lot of interviewers ask the musicians, how did you come up with this amazing album? Or how did you come up with this amazing song? They just answer, I have no idea. It just came to me. And they can't explain it because they have no idea themselves. Like maybe they subscribe to a disciplined habitual practice of writing every single day like what you alluded to or maybe recording every single day. And somewhere along that timeline, something stroke, the stroke of genius, stroke of magic happened, and then boom, here's an amazing song, right? And I think that once again ties back to the relationship between quantity and quality, like what we spoke about. I do wanna make a segue in between the astrology talk back to your OK Cool magazine. I don't know if I am a skeptic myself because I don't know too much or I don't know anything about astrology. But a lot of things that are discussed today is definitely new to me and I think it's definitely awesome context that I would love to explore more about. But what I noted to myself in my mind is when you talked about even for Aquarius or even for Cancer, according to the different alignments of planets and different houses, no cancer is the same cancer and every cancer, every people who share the same astrology signs are also different. I think that talks about the idea of individuality and how like beautiful it is, right? And I don't know anything about astro uh, or about quantum physics. I'm a liberal arts major, so I have zero credentials or I have zero ties or credibility to quantum physics. But what I do know about is each planet has their own magnetic field. And if like we are made out of energies and matter because like you talked about energy cannot be destroyed or created that means every field in this case moon and earth within that field there's contains energies and matters and there's gravitational pull between moon and the earth so i think it makes scientifically perfect sense even to a novice like myself that there is definitely influences so with that being said uh i do want to talk about your second issue because i think that your four issues of okay cool magazine is awesome and I know the previous issue was imposter syndrome and how to accept that and how to fight through it. Your second issue is resisting comparison syndrome. And, and I think that ties beautifully with what we talked about individuality, that even the same people with the same month of birth and same signs have different individual flavors to them. And that's like what makes humans awesome is that we're collectively part of oneness, but 
under the oneness, there's also so many different flavors and seasons and so many different colors to what human race is. The question comes to my mind is then how do you resist comparing with one another? Because I think that's also part of our human nature. Yes. And I agree that like, like individuality is a beautiful part of like the human experience. Like it is the human experience. And we spend too much time caring about what other humans think of us, comparing ourselves to other people, comparing our like career moves, our career trajectories to other people's. For artists, comparing what you make to somebody else, comparing like how much money you make from your art to somebody else. Aiden, you said this earlier, but like really the okay cool issues reflect where I'm at for better or for worse. So around the time of like releasing um, issue number two, which is the title is called Your Life is Not a Competition because I was in a period of time (laughs) trying to convince myself (laughs) life isn't a competition. That like actually the process is way more enjoyable when I can like tune out from what other people are doing and stay in my own lane. And then the more you do that, the more you just like focus on like your own stuff, then the more you are to like see other people as collaborators, as partners, um, instead of like comparing what you're doing, where you're at to where somebody else is at. I mentioned my friend Hannah earlier, but Hannah really has been a huge help in like getting me (laughs) out of uh, like rough patches in regards to the magazine. So we dropped the second issue, which is about comparison in uh, February of 2020. But prior to that, throughout the winter, Hannah is a graphic design artist and she was like pumping out little graphics that I was posting weekly on Instagram. And it was just like a small collaboration that like really helped me just like get back on my feet, like get my momentum going again. Just like starting the conversation back up on OK Cool's Instagram account after being like kind of dormant for a while. I released that first issue and then like didn't have anything else to say. So Hannah really helped me like get the mojo back and then reached out, made that open art call to anybody who's like interested in submitting art about comparing yourself to others. And the, the main conversation that is reflected in that magazine issue, it's about social media and it's about how to see the people that you follow online and the people that like are doing the things that you want to do as like either collaborators, like potential partners, or like just it's motivation. It's proof that like this person is making a living as an artist. I shouldn't be jealous of them. I can do the same thing. They're proof that it exists. It's tangible. It's real for me. In that second issue, I interviewed my cousin, Jeanette, who's like my mentor. She's everything to me. She's a painter. Her husband's a painter. And they're just like, in my mind, living the dream. (laughs) Life isn't always easy, but they're doing what they want to do on their own terms. And so I interviewed them about like competition in their relationship. How does that work when your partner is in the same exact line of business and you guys are like on two different like wavelengths all the time in regards to like career success? Like how do you manage like comparison in that kind of relationship? That conversation was really beautiful and eye-opening. And, but they're also just two very unique, <laughs> patient individuals and very self-aware individuals. That's what it comes down to. Like you avoid comparison by being like self-aware of yourself. And like, again, it's self-forgiveness, but also understanding that like jealousy won't get you anywhere. Comparison, competition, it doesn't. 
get you anywhere unless you're using it as some kind of fuel. And even then you have to be like careful and like check yourself from time to time. I definitely am curious. Is there anything like that was very well articulated at kind of the macro level, but based on interviewing these two painters that are married, I think that is interesting and impactful conversation to have, especially at the time that you were going through this comparison syndrome with OK Cool. Is there any other like big lessons or things that they said or even the energy that they carried between each other and themselves that came up for you during your interview with them? That was just so fascinating because like you think you know your family members but i just like there's certain like history that like there's no need to share <laughs> so it never gets talked about so i learned that in the very beginning of their relationship my cousin's husband ned his name is ned benna his paintings were like pretty famous like selling very well in certain parts of europe and so my cousin jeanette like faced a lot of imposter syndrome around the beginning of their relationship, like comparing her like very beginning career moves to like Ned's insane skyrocketed success. It was just another wave of people that I look up to becoming more human. That was just nice to hear about how um, somebody who like had to deal with that kind of comparison, that hard experience of like someone you love, like being jealous and like still like making things work that was extremely eye-opening. Yeah, and I think there is two different layers of comparison syndrome in today's age. Layer one is the surface level where you compare yourself with the celebrities, with some public figures that's more well-known. And I think that level of comparison is dangerous, but I think what is more dangerous is the second layer where you compare with people who you love, who you have large association with, because the dangerous part about that is you have more context because you know them so well. So that comparison, I think, drives deeper into your soul. And I can speak to that. And I think your second issue of comparison syndrome is especially more relevant. And I think impactful to me personally, because as an Asian American immigrant myself, I grew up in a tiger mom, quasi authoritarian regime where my mom put success and achievement on a pedestal my whole life. Because that's just like the whole immigrant, but more especially Asian immigrants mindset. So my whole life, literally, I was, I grew up with the comparison of my cousin who went to an Ivy League undergrad and an Ivy League master's and who was making a killing as like an investment banker. I have another cousin who also went to Ivy League undergrad and Ivy League grad school and who's working as a project manager slash engineer type of person. So I, I remember just my mom would always have them in the back of her mind and always anything, anytime I did something that's unpleasant or she is unhappy with, she would just name drop my cousin's name. He's like, look at what your cousin's doing. What are you doing with your life? You know, or whenever I share about my struggles, this is like a while back, not anymore. Obviously, me and my mom and we both grew uh, emotionally and I think mentally. So but a while back. Whenever I didn't do, perform as well on an exam, my mom would say, you know, you're so lazy. When I was your age, I did this and this and that. I know in the back of my mind, I will never do what my mom did because her circumstance dictated and necessitated her work ethics. Like my mom had impeccable work ethics. She was like an amazing role model in all areas of her life. And I look up to her in every aspect of my life. But I always tell her, you know, that's not my story. You know, that's your narrative, that's your story, that's your truth, but it's not my truth. 
But as an immigrant myself, I had to combat that comparison syndrome my whole life. Luckily, I don't have the first layer of comparison syndrome. I don't really compare myself with other celebrities. I don't know why I'm just wired that way. I, I just don't. But I definitely fall into the second layer where I do compare with my friends. And I think a lot of uh, high performing or high functioning people tend to like to compare themselves because that's just how we motivate ourselves and that's just how we are wired as achiever. Um, but I think this is an important issue to be talked about, especially when you're stuck in quarantine at your home. You're going to compare yourself with other people, especially on social media, because I'm sure the usage of Instagram has increased a lot due to quarantine. Yeah, I, I just wanted to share that because I, I have a lot of experiences with comparison. And like you talked about, we can, to a certain degree, use envy as a fuel to motivate ourselves. But that's also a very slippery slope. So I love that you shared about that through your OK Cool magazine. Yeah, and I would like to point out, like, I think OK Cool represents a solution to comparison, right? Like you're not competing with the authors in your magazine. It's like a community, a collaborative effort, which that reframe of looking at your social media feed as collaborators and people that showing that it's possible, I think is massive and certainly a big takeaway that I'm going to have from this conversation of like seeing that as a community at its core, you're able to create your feed of who you want to follow, what kind of content you want to consume and having that choice to create a community of people that lift you up and inspire rather than like if you keep looking at people's pictures and you're like, oh, I don't like, you know, how this makes me feel. Then you just hit the unfollow. I think that's yeah. the beauty and the blessing of social media. You get to create your feed of collaborators, of community, which I think your company so well illustrates. You know, we've touched a lot on the comparison and what you pointed out was that this month's, I guess it's dropping in January, correct? Yes, the sir. The theme there is inspiration. So when did this theme come up for you and what are you kind of seeing from either your authors or your own self? Uh, what's coming up with inspiration? Yeah. On January 1st, 2021, we are dropping our fourth magazine issue. It's called The Origin of Our Ideas, and it's all about inspiration and the creative process. <laughs> and this kind of goes hand in hand with spirituality and my own relationship with spirituality and being in quarantine and just like <laughs> questioning why I do certain things, why I believe in certain things, and just like being fascinated by the mystical aspect of ideas and the way ideas work, our relationship to ideas. So that is the main, like that curiosity is the main motivation behind this issue. And so this time around, when I created the art call to anybody who was interested in submitting art, I asked that people also submitted like a little write-up about what their creative process looks like, how like they generate ideas and like what usually happens for them. And so this time around, I'm literally <laughs> putting together the magazine like this week over these next couple days. I think this is gonna be like the coolest issue so far because it's really, it's so special to like see someone's artwork, whether it be a, a painting, a picture, a poem, and then like just a teeny tiny little insight into what got them there. There's something so human about it that's just really fascinating. It's back into individuality um, because everybody's process is just a little bit different. Not by much, but just a little different. 
Could you share some of those processes as well as both for our own interest as well as listeners' interest, how people can connect and potentially purchase that when the time comes out? Yeah. To purchase any OK Cool issue, you can go to okcoolmagazine.com, and that's O-K-A-Y-C-O-O-L. And we have a couple issues online that you can get for free, just like a PDF version of that. And if you're an artist and you want to be a part of it, just follow us on Instagram. I create little like calls for art twice a year. (laughs) We create biannual magazines. Um, So like I said, this issue is called The Origin of Our Ideas. Every time I put together the magazines, it feels more like a scrapbook, (laughs) like a combination of images and words that are just like really, really beautiful and inspiring to like leaf through. So a collage artist named Libby Willits shared that their creative process stems from their relationship to color. Libby says, I'd like to think the origin of most of my ideas stems solely from color. I know that's very vague to say, just color, but trying to make pieces or works using a range of bright colors is really what drives their process. And then um, a couple pages prior to that, another artist named Alora Martinez, who primarily paints and draws animals, cites that creativity flows to her in so many different ways. She truly believes creativity is not some limited force that only visits a few, but instead creativity visits us us all and asks us all to bring it into the material world. And so just little things like that really make me excited to share this piece and this magazine issue because it just, it feels a little bit more, I don't think authentic is the right word, but instead of just like, having a magazine like filled with a bunch of random pieces of art, you also get a glimpse into like, like what that art means to that person. And funny enough, that almost comes full, full circle with what we were talking about at the beginning and both the internal and external quality and value of art, right? And I think this issue is one that I'm certainly going to be diving into and I would recommend a lot of other listeners to as well because you know, it's the personal story. It's not just the art. It's not just the beauty of it, but also the inherent story and obviously the theme. You know, it's one thing for a magazine just to be two pages about one specific thing, but you can use however many pages to illustrate one specific point, which I think is admirable and exciting. And I'm definitely excited to take part and see what it's all about. It's almost like we built a whole show around that idea, right? (laughs) We built this whole (laughs) platform just so that we can peer into those individual processes just like you are going to through this magazine and i think your sequence of your releases of your four issues uh, starting from your battle with your imposter syndrome into your uh, latest release of the fourth issue of talking about the origins of inspiration it's almost like a phoenix right you went through what Aiden calls like a seasonal approach, like everything has this season, it has its winter, it has its fall, and it has a spring and summer. Just like a phoenix, you had to go through that battle of transformation through fighting your imposter syndrome, which then you had to conquer the comparison syndrome, and then you talked about how to self-care amidst COVID, and finally, you talk about the origins or the masterminds behind the ideas and inspiration, like a full season is. So I think it's a poetic way about how you sequenced your releases. And like we talked about, we did build this whole platform for the sake of learning these individual 
experiences uh, through like a collective format. Um, yeah, that sounds awesome. And obviously, we will put all the information that you talked about, your Instagram tag, your website, and the episode shows below. So to conclude this episode, we would like to ask two questions. Um, if you were the designer of a mentorship program, since you're enriched with so much mental health experiences and passion and your artistic backgrounds, uh, what are some of the mentorship advices you would hope to instill to the participants, the younger self or the next generation? Yeah, I think some of the most important advice we can give ourselves, we can give other people is the idea of self-trust um, and the idea of trusting your intuition and taking the time to sit with yourself and Look at your doubts, look at your fears, but also understand that your dreams, your desires are a part of you. And when you take time to pursue and to try your passions, the things that like you're daydreaming about, you are in a way building your trust, you're building a relationship to yourself. And it is easier said than done, but slowly but surely the process of doing things you are interested in for no other reason besides the fact that you like it that helps you create a sense of confidence and trust in yourself to disregard other people's opinions other people's perceptions and i know that's all loaded but at the end of the day it comes down to this idea that like i value myself i value my ideas so if if there's one piece of advice i can give to anybody it's to really trust your daydreams and take a chance on them I love it. So well said. Yeah, certainly. That's awesome advice that I think can't be said enough, uh, whether people are creatives or scientists or anywhere in between. Self-trust and trusting your own ideas is really a fundamental part of a life well lived. So we appreciate you sharing. One of the last questions that we like to ask as well as kind of challenge you as one of our guests is what would you discover more about? You don't have to share what in this next week you're going to be discovering about. However, to leave our guests with an encouragement of what to discover more about, what would you recommend that they go ahead and do or explore? Yeah, um, I recommend that people look at creativity and take the time to discover their own creativity through a different lens. We are taught to understand creativity as this like pen and paper, grab a paintbrush, go to town, this like very definitive act when in actuality we are using our creative energies all the time. So I would challenge people to be just a little bit more open-minded in where creativity actually plays a massive role in your life, in your decision-making, and how can you have more fun in your decision-making? How can you be more creative on a day-to-day -day basis? And what does that look like to you? I think in that discovery process, you learn a lot about yourself. Amazing advice. Yeah. Creativity and art as a verb. It's so well said and so important. So seriously, thank you so much for your time today and sharing all of your wonderful advice and what OK Cool is all about. We've had an awesome time chatting with you today. Yeah. Thank you guys. Um, yeah. Thank you for your time. And as we talked about earlier in the episode, as we enter the age of open-mindedness and as we enter the new age of acceptance i do hope that people are more open about different belief systems and to venture out to explore about their different avenues of creativity like Catherine slash kitty recommended and if you have made it to this far thank you for listening and as always till next time 
Thank you for listening to another episode of Discover More. We release a new episode every Monday on Spotify and Apple Podcasts, and would really appreciate if you have subscribed and shared this with your friends. We hope you enjoyed this episode and join us next week in the journey of discovering more through intentional dialogues.